Galatians chapter 5. We've been going through Galatians since October the 20th, and what's happened here is we sort of unpacked the, the part of salvation titled justification. You see, salvation is really broken down into really three areas. We have justification. Justification happens in an instant. Justification is where you come and are overwhelmed by the grace of God, and you say yes to God, and you repent of your sins, you place your faith in him, and it happens in an instant. It happens in a moment. The issue is how are we justified? Well, for four and a half chapters, Paul has been teaching us that we're justified by grace through faith and not of works of ourselves, right? And he's been unpacking that and talking about that and doing just that. We've learned that Jesus plus nothing is everything. And then the third part of salvation is what we call glorification. It's basically what happens when we get these glorified bodies. And that is a future event. It's the final work of God upon Christians where he transforms our mortal physical bodies to be eternal physical bodies that we will dwell in forever. Recently, I was at my house and my parents' house and uh, on the wall was my high school yearbook picture. <clears throat> and my children saw that. And my son, Luke, looked at it and said, what happened to your hair? So in the glorified body, I have, I have a couple of things in my mind that I'm hoping are true. Six-pack abs forever, amen? That's a reason to say amen. And like hair at least, just lots of it. Andrew came by the other day and took a picture of the crown of everybody's head. He did this on my birthday, nonetheless. He took a picture of the crown of everybody's head in the family and says, everybody, I want you to guess who this is. And he flipped through the pictures, and it got to me, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's going. But in the glorified bodies, I have in my mind that we have lots of hair. I'm talking afro. I'm talking afro, baby. And so afro and abs, that's what I'm requesting during the glorified body. Now, there's three parts of the salvation, right? There's justification, there's glorification, but in the middle, there's this thing called sanctification. Sanctification means to cleanse or to make holy or to be like Christ. And that's where the book of Galatians sort of shifts right now. It goes into the process of saying, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack what it means to be a true follower of Christ and what that looks like. So this week, next week, and the week after, we've got three more sermons left in Galatians, and we're going to unpack what that means. What does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, and how do we live this life? In Galatians chapter 5 last week, Brian left off with this verse. The verse that he read uh, sort of at the end was, for you were called to freedom, this is Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the question that I think that they're now asking, and the question that we can even ask is, well, how does this take place? And then we come right to the next verse, which is 16, and that's where we pick things up. So Galatians 5, 16 through 26 really helps us understand how we're going to do this. I believe the text is sort of broken down into three ways. This is certainly not very creative. It's just a real simple way for us to remember it. I think the first one is the fight. The second one is the flesh. And the third one is the fruit. And we're going to unpack and learn some lessons through each of those as we go, go on this morning. But let's take a look at Galatians 5, 16 through 18 and take a look at the fight that we're in. What does it say? It says, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do, but if you are led by the Spirit, 
you are not under the law. So right here, we understand that there is a conflict that's going on, and there's a fight that's going on. And it's important for us to understand who that fight is between. First, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity and actually the agent of change in the sanctification process. That is the part of the Trinity that God has set up that's going to change us, to clean us, and to mold us to be more like him. And if you want to take a look in Ephesians 5.18, it says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Later on in the text, it talks about loving our wives as Christ loved the church and wives submitting to your husbands, to love them, to respect them, and, and husbands to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So what does that mean? That means right here that the Spirit empowers your life, but it also empowers your marriage. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what does the Spirit do? The Spirit comes in and changes your life and fills you up, but it also affects the way that you handle the gospel, the way that you share the gospel. And just as a reminder, on February the 9th, Charlie Murphy is going to teach a class during the second hour on what that means to share the gospel, and I hope you'll be a part of that class. Not only that, the Bible says in Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Well, how in the world does the word of God dwell in us richly? Simply said, it dwells in us richly because of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so therefore, we have the Spirit. And, and the Bible also says to flee. And many times it says to flee or to run. How are we to flee and how are we to run under the power of the Spirit? Away from things that gratify the flesh. Well, the other part of the war we have the spirit, but then we also have the flesh. And what is the flesh? Here's a quote for you. The flesh is what remains of the old man after a person is saved. It refers to unredeemed humanness, the part of the believer that will be completely transformed when we get our glorified bodies, aka abs and afro. Amen? Okay, nine o'clock, come on. Abs and Afro. So there we go. This is what Paul was referring to and was perplexed about in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. This is what he said. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul, in and of himself, knew that there was this great conflict, this great war, this great fight that was going on. And let's go back to verse 17. For this is what it says. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. They're at war with each other. There is a fight. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I think that there's some really important truths that we see in the fight that I want to bring up to you. The first one is walking in the spirit will always defeat the flesh. I'll say it again. Walking in the spirit will always defeat the flesh. And I hope you're greatly encouraged by that. Because I know if, if you're like me, man, you feel beat up at times. Why am I doing that? Why am I saying that? Why did I react this way? You know, there's a difference between reacting and responding. Reacting is in the flesh and responding is in the spirit. And many times we react with our spouses or our children instead of respond when we digest what's going on so that we respond full of the spirit. Paul is saying, hey, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit denotes a continuous and regular action. It is, in other words, a habitual way of life. It is the way that you live. It implies progress. It means you're going somewhere. It means that you are not the same and will never be the same. It's a steady, consistent movement. Several years ago, 
I decided I'm gonna run a 5K. Anybody here has done a 5K before? Done 5K? Okay, 5K. I've done a couple of them, but this was my first one. It was downtown Raleigh. I trained for this race. I'm not a runner at all. I'm a slow, I'm a like, little bit of a fast jogger, but I'm not a runner, that makes any sense. And so when I got up to the race, I trained for this race, downtown Raleigh on Fayetteville Street, and I am down there and I get up and all of a sudden, the man adrenaline and competitive edge comes out in me. And I see all of these guys in these like running shorts and tank tops, and I'm like, they got their watches on, they're standing by the line and they got this going on like this, and I'm like, get off that, man, I'm gonna take them. All of a sudden, this adrenaline came in, and I thought, I am going to run this race. Not only am I going to win my age group, but I'm going to win the entire thing. And I sat out there, and I was blazing a trail. I mean, I was going. We're talking about 300 yards from the finish line, of which I could see. I thought that my chest was going to explode. I thought, I am going to die. I'm going to crawl across the finish line. I'm not going to even be able to walk. I can't run. I can hardly walk. I am dying right now. And about that time, here's the, here's the message that is given to you that you really are out of pace. You're out of sync and you lost your way. When I'm running and I look beside me and there's this little kid sucking on a pacifier being pushed by his dad flies by me. That's when you know you're really in bad shape, right? And here's what happens. Sometimes in those races you get out of pace and sometimes in life you get out of pace. But here's what the scripture is teaching. He's like, listen, I want you to simmer down and I want you to walk. I want you to walk and I want you to walk in the spirit of God. And that spirit of God will change your marriage. That spirit of God will help you in your witnessing. That spirit of God will change your life. He is the one that empowers you to be someone you can be before holy God. And I want you to walk in him. And when you do walk in him, here's my promise. You will not. That's present tense. That's absolute. There is no other option. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I hope you are greatly encouraged by that. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. When we walk this way, okay, I just had a flesh experience right now where I just thought of Aerosmith and, and Steven Tyler. When you walk this way, okay, sorry about that. Okay, when you walk this way, you're not going to talk this, ow, okay, you got it. All right, those of you in the 80s, you heavy metal bangers, then you know what I'm talking about, right? Amen? All right, back to the spirit, okay, back, back to the spirit, all the young kids are like, Stephen Tyler, American Idol. Oh, he goes way back. All right. So when you walk this way, you will not sin. It's a promise. It is a declaration. It is you're in the spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Another thing about the fight is that the Christian life is a fight. It is not a passive surrender. Verse 17 says this one more time. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. And so what we learn really clearly is it is truly a fight. It's not passive surrender. And what happens when it says this, for these are opposed to each other to keep you, to prevent you from doing the things you want to do. 
Sometimes you have this motto of, hey, I'm just gonna come to God, I'm gonna let go and let God. You know, you just come to him and say, hey, I'm just gonna give up. I'm just gonna, God, I'm just, I'm giving up, I'm gonna let go and let God. Or, or put this way, in a world contemporary situation, you just say, Jesus, take the wheel, right? I'm not making fun of Carrie Underwood, okay? But I'm just saying, you just, Jesus, take the wheel, you're in charge. But here's what we have to understand. We have to understand this. Our, if that's our motto, if it's I'm just gonna give up and let God, or Jesus take the wheel, or whatever it might be, we will never experience the beauty of the gospel, we'll never experience the beauty of what it means to be cleansed and changed. This is what one author said. One author put it this way, the power of the Christian living is entirely from the Holy Spirit, just as the power of salvation is entirely in Jesus Christ. But both the justifying work of Christ and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, man's will is active and commitment is called for. And I don't know about you, but we could probably have hours and hours of testimony of just basic struggle and how hard really the Christian life is in terms of, man, I wanna do this, but I do this. I wanna think on this, but I think this way. And maybe you're probably just real beat up right now and just kind of overwhelmed. And I would say, you, you, you might even say, hey, Matt, I, I just don't really am sensing any victory right now. I'm, I'm just really kind of, like I said, overwhelmed. Because it's this sin that is like so easily ensnaring me and I keep coming back to it, but Matt, I want victory for it. I, I wanna be freed of it and I keep asking and I keep asking. And I would say this right now, be encouraged that you are aware of that sin. Because that in and of itself is evident that the Holy Spirit is working on you. I would be more fearful if you were numb to the leading of the Spirit to be aware of what you're doing. You see, the people in the flesh are convicted. The people in the flesh are sorry because of the consequences. The people in the Spirit are sorry when they stumble because of the leading of the Holy Spirit. And there's a huge difference in that. And so really, the fact that you struggle really is a good thing. The time to worry is not when you struggle. And so I want you to remember something about the fight. This is what we remember about the fight. The Christian life is a fight. It is not passive surrender. And walking in the Spirit will always produce victory. Will always produce victory. I think if we continue on to the outline, we have the, we had the fight and now we have the flesh. And when we have the flesh, basically what Paul is trying to do right now is he's trying to give us a picture. Give us a picture of what it looks like when you're falling in line or you're outside of the spirit. What does this look like? It says this in verse, in verse 19. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And so really the point there, you, we must realize that it's obvious to those everywhere that these works of the flesh, they're not just inward, they're outward. Okay, another thing is they're obvious and there was no need to prove that they're sinful. Let's go to verse 20. Verse 20 says this. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, and so we, work, we understand that the works of the flesh are diverse. Paul goes and he breaks these down really into four areas. He unpacks them in around four different areas about the sins of the flesh that we wanna go through. First group of sins is sexual sins. 
And so I would start off by asking you a question. Here's a true or false question. Sex is for a man and woman. True or false? Okay, that is false. Thank you. Why is that false? Because sex was created and designed for a husband and a wife. Sex was created and designed for a husband and a wife, not for a man and a woman. In a heterosexual, monogamous relationship where Christ is the center and his spirit leads them to be all they can and could be. So the first group of sins is sexual sins. It's pretty amazing that Paul goes through these different types of sins or these groupings of sins. He says, first, there's sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is any type of sex that is not between a husband and wife. It's fornication, adultery, bestiality, and homosexuality. The word used for sexual immorality is pornea, which is where we get the word pornography from. If you were in 2000, I think it's 2010 or 2011. I'm not really sure. It's one of those years. If you were to add all of the revenue for the MLB Major League Baseball, the National Football League, and the NBA. If you, were to, if you were to add all of the profits together for three of the major sports in the United States, it would still come in far second to the industry of pornography in terms of revenue. John Mayer, the musician who everybody just loves, has this reputation for being this womanizing playboy and all that that goes with it. He said, you know, porn is really just better and it's easier. It eliminates the relationship. Paul starts with a group of sins that's overwhelming. It's sexual and moral. And so what happens here is that the spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. And this is a prominent, prominent area. He goes on to say impurity, unclean sexually. He goes on to say sensuality, Sensuality is an uninhibited sexual indulgence without the shame and concern for others and how they are hurt and how, what others think. I don't know about you, but I have four kids and I have three boys, one daughter. And I probably, one of my constant prayers for them each and every day is for their purity. Not only in their mind, but in their heart. Because they are bombarded, bombarded from commercials to billboards to all kinds of talk and jest that allow this to be festered and to be accepted. And I probably would say that it's no wonder that Paul mentions this first because the flesh, not under the Holy Spirit, naturally runs this way and gives credence and gives birth to just gross immorality. But here's the good news. The good news is, is that God's given us the Holy Spirit. And as I said early in the fight, the Holy Spirit will always bring victory over the flesh. Always. Uh, group two, there are religious sins. The religious sins that we have or talked about here are idolatry, um, sorcery, and those two sins are, are basically the worship of something or someone other than God as he has made. Now this idolatry made the top 10 list in the 10 commandments, right? Idolatry is worshiping something that is God that is not God. Not only that, but it would be worshiping the one true God, but a wrong way, which is what the Galatians were doing. Because the Galatians were idolaters because they were worshiping the right guy, but in the wrong way. And that in and of itself is idolatry. One author said that the enemy of Christianity is not atheism, it's actual idolatry. He goes on to say sorcery. 
Sorcery is where we get our word pharmacy from. I didn't know this. My wife is a pharmacist. I told her, you're not a sorcerer, but you are, babe. You are right here. This is, uh, this is where we get, the words, we get the word pharmacy from. And the reason being is this is what would happen. They would get together as a group, and what they would do is they would take drugs to allow them to encounter foreign or pagan deities. This is where witchcraft was birthed. And Paul said earlier in Galatians, hey, who has bewitched you? Who's cast a spell on you to think something other and different? So there's two types of sins that we've covered so far. There's the sexual sins. Then he goes and he talks about the religious sins. And then thirdly, he talks about the social sins. These are sinful ways that we relate to other people. Verse 20, it keeps going after sorcery. It says enmity. Enmity is where you have your life is composed of enemies. You have a lot of enemies or frenemies, as we might say. You have strife and there's conflict and there is all kinds of conflict in your relationships. There's jealousy and those are all internal attitudes of the heart. You see, and then what happens when you have enmity, strife, and jealousy, what's the next thing? What's the next, what's the next one that's listed? Fits of anger. When there's conflict, when there's enemies, and when there's jealousy, the natural inclination is it goes from our heart and from the inside and it comes out. Because why? It is, the leader of it is its flesh and it's not, com- it's not confined or controlled by the, leader, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore what happens is these things built up on the inside and then they explode into fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and even divisions. And they're expressed outwardly. Then the fourth group is addiction sins. Now, in verse 21, he only lists drunkenness. But these are basically, that was what was listed at the time. Remember, this is not an exhaustive list of things. This is not simply saying, hey, this is the way you live. This is just, these are the only sins of the flesh. That's completely not what he's trying to say. These are the sins that were popular at this time, and Paul is addressing those by revealing that, hey, if you're in this lifestyle, if you're continuing in this lifestyle, what is evident is that you are being led by the flesh, you're not being led by the Spirit you're not walking in the spirit. So he says drunkenness. And basically drunkenness is mentioned, and it's basically the sinful nature. Ephesians 5, 18 says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Now, in, in my background and your background, as I said two weeks ago, you know, alcohol was an absolute sin. It was like, oh, if you drink, you are less Christian than anybody else. But what he's talking about here is not the issue of alcohol. He's talking about the issue of control. Who is in control? Drunkenness is a complete obvious statement that you are not in control and can never be in control and thereby saying the spirit cannot lead you. And drunkenness leads to orgies which is like crowsing around. And so Paul's warning for the flesh is that yes, these things are evident. Yes, that these sins are evident. They're very evident. They're diverse. And practicing these things will separate you from God. Verse 21. I'm gonna read the last part of 21. It says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And before you go, oh my gosh, I have been a part of one of those things. But I know for a fact that I have been saved and redeemed by King Jesus. And so what we're saying is we're not talking about an occasional stumble. We're not talking about a lapse into sin. What Paul is talking about is that this is your lifestyle. Is this what you are all about? Then there is no way that you could get into the kingdom of God. There is an opportunity where you will be separated from him forever. Not a believer, you're not a child, and there is no heaven. One author said it this way. There is a big difference from stumbling along the path 
and not being on the road at all. Christians, we still sin. Martin Luther said it this way, simultaneously just and yet sinners. So we have the fight, we have the flesh, and now we go to the fruit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? And notice, I know a lot of times you grew up in vacation, maybe some of you grew up in vacation Bible school, and you got all the songs going through your mind right now of love, joy, peace, peace, you know, and all that stuff. How fast can you sing it? Maybe I'm the only one that did that, but I go to this camp every year, and they have this song where they still sing, and they've been singing it for, I believe, probably 25 years, and they keep singing it, and they want to sing it as fast as they can. And I'm not going to sing that song for you right now, I promise you. But let's look at verses 22 through 26. Look at 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to envying one another. And so if you look at the verse 26, the first word is there, but the fruit of the Spirit. He's changing gears. Here is what the the works of the flesh are, but here is the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it doesn't say these are the works of the Spirit. They're the fruit of the Spirit. Because here's the big difference. Here's the big difference. This fruit in our life is grown. It's not given to us. It is grown in us. It's part of that progressive sanctification process that we have. The works of the flesh or something right now that we do when we fall into sin. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's interesting, as I was studying this week and even talking to, actually, Bill King, in a lot of commentators in the original language, this was written, but it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And there's a semicolon there in the original translation. Not a comma. When you put a comma there, it makes it seem like that all of these are just equal. But when you put the semicolon there, and you have it in the singular tense, you understand that love is this great fruit of the Spirit, and it manifests itself in all of these other ways, like joy and grace and gentleness and kindness and self-control. However way we want to look at it, we understand that he breaks this down into different ways in terms of how we do it. If you look at the peach tree at my, my in-law's house, I've seen that peach tree. We planted a peach tree, man, and it didn't, it didn't yield any peaches for a long time. And then all of a sudden, man, August 1st comes around, and those peaches are all over that tree. And the denotion that's what's getting on here is that Paul is saying this, listen, I know that the Holy Spirit is going to come in your life, and it is going to create something beautiful, beautiful in you and through you. But it's going to take time. And we need you to actively surrender to what it is. Let's take a look at the first one, love. Love is defined as unconditional love demonstrated by Jesus. Nobody demonstrates or understands or even defines love better than King Jesus. Galatians 5.14 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so love is the very first one. Love is unconditional. It's forgiving. It's a choice. It's emotional, but it's not emotionally distracted. I heard Brian say this one time, and I just love this statement. He said, you know, what I want to do in my relationship with my wife and what I want to do with the relationship with the people around me is I want to love them the way that Christ loves me. I want to love them the way that Christ loves me. That is incredibly encouraging. That's incredibly challenging 
Because when you look at it, you're not looking at what they do or what they haven't done. You're just looking at the way that Christ defines love and you're asking, God, I wanna love them the way that you love me. And the way that you love me is called agape love, which you know is unconditional. It's unconditional. He then goes down to talk about joy. Joy is the deep down sense of well-being, joy in the chaos. It's happiness is conditional, but joy is not. You see, when we talk about joy, joy is the opportunity that when things go really, really bad, we can still see the hand of God in these situations. I'm often drawn to Bruce Radcliffe or, or Sue Lau or Esther Milheim right here in our congregation. A lot of these people over the last year have been dealt with very, very serious news. Cancer, the death of Dr. Milheim. But you, know, you spend just a little bit of time with them out there in that foyer and you can see something that's really radically different. It's a joy that is just only defined by the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's fun and it's fresh to be able to see the joy that comes when, they see the, when you see them in those circumstances. You come to the next one is peace, and that's having a settled mind. John MacArthur says, everything is in place as it ought to be. I would ask the question, are you wrecked with anxiety and worry when things don't go right? In all circumstances, peace allows us, through the Holy Spirit, to be calm and free from strife. Then he moves to relationships to others in terms of the fruit of the Spirit talks about patience. Now, most of the time, when things don't go our way, we have the opportunity to respond, right? Respond negatively because it comes out. But when the Holy Spirit is leading us, and when we're walking in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then what takes place is that when we get disturbed, the unrest or the frustration does not come out because there's a trust in who God is. There's kindness, tender concern for others and treat for others generally. There's goodness and has to do with moral and spiritual excellence. It goes to faithfulness, is loyal and trustworthy. Dependable, gentleness is better translated meekness, which it's humble but not a wimp. Humble but not a wimp. And then there is self-control. Self-control is restraining passions or appetites. In verse 24 it says this, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In verse 24, the flesh has been killed like the criminal it is. And you would sit there and say, well, how is it killed like the criminal it is? Because I'm still wrestling with things, Matt. But here's what you have to understand. He is saying that the, the flesh is crucified. The flesh, the flesh is destroyed when and only when you are in the spirit. So when you are in the spirit, it's as if the flesh has its rightful place in the glorified state that we, not, that we are, will one day live in. It will be destroyed. It will be over with. And so what he wants us to understand is that when you walk in the spirit, when you are filled with the spirit, when you are filled with that spirit, then you will see the flesh and you will see the temptations of the flesh and you will see them as crucified, as dead. I don't really know about you, but I personally grew up in a home that we, uh, a Christian home, and the Christian home that I grew up in, we were very, very quick and very, very quick to give credit to God and talked about Jesus a lot in the, the churches that I were a part of, in the home that I grew up in. But one thing we didn't do is we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit very much. We were like, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know? 
And as a result of that, no fault to my parents, just my fault of my understanding of the gospel is, I found out what Jesus did and I found out who Jesus was. And as a result, what did I do? I followed a list. I followed the list and the list is what I felt like empowered me to be the man and to be the Christian that God would want me to be. And Paul is sitting there saying, I'm not giving you a list, I'm giving you a description of what it can be like when I bring you to Jesus. The primary job of the Holy Spirit in this text is not to make you more like Jesus. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to bring you to him. Because when he brings you to him and you sit with him, then everything falls into place as it should be. And it is a beautiful, beautiful process. But when we emphasize God and we emphasize the, the Son and what Jesus has done and the sanctifying work, then we look at it and we say, wow, I'm living a life, but it's not empowered to overcome the sins of the flesh. It's not empowered. Here's a statement that I want to close with as I read two quotes for before, just a second. Fruit is not grown from a list to be followed. Fruit is grown from a spirit who empowers say that again. Fruit is not grown from a list to be followed. Fruit is grown from a spirit who empowers. The Christian life is tough. I wish I could sit there and promise you, do all of these things and you'll be filled with spirit. No, because what we'll do is we'll follow the list, but we won't encounter him. So what is the answer? Jesus is the answer. Jesus. Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the afternoon, Jesus in the night, Jesus all day long, Jesus every day, Jesus all the time. That's the answer, and that's the list. It's Jesus, it's more of him, it's all of him, and it's because of him. And when we understand that, then we'll understand, wow, he's giving me his presence, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help me overcome some of these sins that so easily ensnare me. Francis Chan wrote a book called Forgotten God, and it's really, in essence, about the Holy Spirit. And uh, he grew up in an, in an atmosphere kind of like myself where we talked about God and we talked about Jesus and we didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit because that was for the Pentecostals and we want to protect our good doctrine, right? We want to protect our good doctrine and not get out of control. And so what happened is we, let, we, we live powerless lives instead of empowered lives. And every area of our life is representative of that. And here's what Francis Chan said about that just thing. I want to live so that I am truly submitted to the Spirit's leading on a daily basis. Christ said it's better for us that the Spirit came, and I want to live like that is true. I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. He went on to say it this way in regards to the church. That was for the individual. This one's for the church. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot be different, cannot help but be different. And the world cannot help but notice. And so here's the challenge for us right now. How are we going to live this life? How are we going to move from being justified to being sanctified? It is through the walking daily and continually in the Spirit. And how do we do that? It's just Jesus. 
It's more of Jesus, yeah. I could say, read your Bible and pray and give you the camp answer when you go to camp and talk about those things. But here's what it is. It comes down to one thing. It's Jesus and it's all of him. Here's what John 15, eight says. It says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove you are my disciples. What is my prayer? My prayer right here is that Northwest Community Church would be a group of individuals that people look at them and say, wow, that's an amazing, amazing stand. That's an amazing fruit stand for God's glory. That's an amazing fruit stand of God's glory in your life. God has given us an invitation in the cul-de-sac of his grace to come, to come and be overwhelmed through the spirit, which empowers us to put away the flesh and to walk victoriously for him. And I think that's an incredible thing. I love you guys, let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to sit here and talk and teach about the fruit of the spirit. I pray that today, God, that maybe we learned something we did not know before, but at the end of the day, I pray that we would understand that the fruit, that the spiritual fruit is not produced by a list to be followed, but spiritual fruit is produced so that we might be empowered to follow you. So God, I love you, and I thank you. Your name is great. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.